Death is a topic many of us avoid, but today's guest has spent a career helping people to deal with their most devastating losses and has worked to make the process of saying goodbye to a loved one even more personal and more affordable. And we will talk about why Phaneuf Funeral Homes and Crematorium has been named one of this year's Businesses of the Year by Business NH Magazine. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. So, Nathan, I had a little brush with my own mortality this morning. Really? You know, I don't mind growing older. Like, I've earned all my gray hairs. <laughs> my mother keeps, every time she sees it, she's like, oh my gosh, you're even grayer. I'm like, yes, I have I have a teenager. You know? Yeah. But I didn't think I did. I, I thought for my age, and, you know, technically I'm coming up on 52. Okay. I, I thought I wore my age pretty well. Yeah, you do. Yeah, well, the universe sends you other messages. Oh, no. So <laughs> I forgot to get lunch today. So, you know, for our recording day. So I, I, I was like, oh, I need to stop somewhere. And there was a Walgreens. So pulling, get a frozen lunch, checking out. Very nice young lady at the checkout counter and all that. And she turns to me in the sweetest voice possible. She goes, and I'm giving you the senior, the senior discount. Oh, no. It was like a dagger <laughs> through the heart. <laughs> and so I, I just, you know, I was, I knew it was meant in kindness. So I'm like, oh, thank you very right, much. Right. Because I took the discount because I need something at that point. Although right. it was not enough of a discount for not what she put me through. The, no. And then, of course, I went looking for the, <laughs> the nearest, you know, ice flow in which to join, you know, my, my ancestors. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but anyways, it, it, oh. it does get you thinking about, you know. The future. You're going to go home and, and make sure life, life insurance is in, in order. But, and you, know, <laughs> you know, when you think about, we are at the age where we've been to funerals and such. And yeah. there's certain yeah. things that you, you know, there's certain things that make a funeral meaningful to you. Oh, yeah. And then there's other aspects that we all have different things that we're like, I wish we didn't do that. Like mm. my mother, for the longest time, she's like, and I want an open casket. And I've been to enough open casket mm-hmm. one i'm like no i said for i said oh. they do wonderful <laughs> jobs putting makeup people on but they don't look the same and mm-hmm. i said mom i just closed casket with a beautiful picture of you that's how i want to remember you and she's like i will haunt you she goes oh don't you want to know if i'm in there i'm like i think i'm gonna trust don't you know the, the wonderful <laughs> professionals who handle you that you're in the <laughs> casket okay i have trust i don't need to verify thank you very much <laughs> I and love the, that that's her concern. I know. Don't and you want to know that I'm in there? Other thing is, and I know we all have our different way of saying goodbye, mm-hmm. but the receiving lines. Yeah. I'm always like, you know, I don't know how people do it that they do it over a couple of days because I'm like a couple hours. I'm an introvert. I mean, mm. I, I'm already, you know, in an emotional place. And I'm like, I have to talk to how many people? I know. I know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's those things. But, you Pretend know, that you know all of them. On the other hand, we are at a funeral where someone who really knows the person is able mm. to eulogize them in a beautiful way. I think it's great. And I'm going to be one of those people that writes his own... Um, death notice because i want to be good i don't want you know one of my relatives who's mourning i want to i 
you know, get I, it done. I, I want to get it done, and it's going to be funny. Yeah, you know, I want good. humor in mind. Good. good, you know, so that way when the, you know when the great things like like when my grandmother died, what she did, it was all arranged. Yeah. Done. Oh yeah. She yeah. had what she wanted. We didn't have to guess about yeah. it. We made a couple of minor decisions. Yeah. The funeral home was great that mm-hmm. you know helped us out with doing those things, and it was such peace of mind to know like I don't have to make any more decisions during this time. I can just yeah. Be in that moment. Right. And that's what they wanted. Right. right. My grandmother had the purple book from the church and it had been filled out for like. No, I'm not familiar with this. What is the purple book? I, mean, it, I guess, I don't know if it's a thing, but it was just like this book that they gave at the church to like, it, you fill in like who, you know, who you want to do uh, this part of the service and who oh, you want, where you want okay. your service and, and do you want flowers and this and that, like all of these things that like lays it out. And she had this thing done. And it's like, she would tell us every holiday, she's like, the purple book is set. It's done. It's here. Everyone knows where it is. So when I go... <laughs> <laughs> she was ready to go for like 20 years. You know? I think it's one of the best things you can do for it, your loved ones. Oh, it though. is. It is. Yeah, it really like, is. Oh, that's what they wanted. Yep. Perfect. Got it. Yeah, no questions. I love it. Well, oh we God. have someone today we can talk to who knows all, all about the ins and, and outs yeah. of how you say your final goodbye to someone. Yeah, we do. And so let's delve in let's go our guest this week is is arthur buddy fanuf president and licensed funeral director of fanuf funeral homes and crematorium he is a fourth generation funeral director and has been running the family business since 1989 prior to his time in funeral service he worked as a senior consultant with management consulting firm deloitte he holds an mba in finance from the george washington university as well as a bs in operation operations research from the university of new hampshire and an AS in funeral services from the New England Institute. He's a member of the National Funeral Directors Association and the New Hampshire Funeral Directors Association. He's a frequent contributor to several funeral service trade magazines. But he is a lifelong parishioner of St. Marie Church and serves on several nonprofit boards throughout the Manchester area, including Catholic Medical Center, the St. Marie Finance Committee and Foundation, and the Fanuf Family Foundation. He's also a past member of the Board of Trustees of the Visiting Nurses Association of Southern New Hampshire and the Franco-American Center. In his spare time, he enjoys skiing, mountain biking, playing hockey, and traveling. He lives in Manchester with his wife, Pamela, and has three children, Mallory, John, and Griffin. Buddy, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure to have you. Um, And first, congratulations. Thank you very much. uh, For all of your hard work, for all the work that you do and your teams do in all of the locations. We are Um, very humbled and um, very appreciative of the honor. Well, it's it's good to have you here as well, because now we get to hear and have you tell the story. Um, And as I understand, uh, there's a, a long history so far. So the business has been around since 1906. It's one of the oldest continuously run in the region question now is, how did your family get into this business? Well, the story that's been passed down through dinner table conversations over the generations was that (laughs) um, my great-grandfather, who lived in a small little town, Saint-Denis-de-Richelieu, outside of Montreal, Mm. um, somehow got involved with, with the making and production of embalming fluids, which was fairly oh. new back then, Yeah, um, decided to move to the United States and try to sell embalming fluids. Didn't go so well. <laughs> oh, no. Somehow ended up in Nashua and um, was a house painter. 
And he somehow got a job at one of the local Catholic churches who needed the building painted and found out through the grapevine that one of the local funeral directors had passed away and they needed another funeral director. So his vast knowledge of the funeral industry through (laughs) distribution of embalming (laughs) fluid um, made him a perfect candidate to say, I can do that. And and that is how he he started Wow! uh, back in 1906. And then... Beyond that, he he um, he had ten children, I believe, wow. all with the first initial A, which is very creative. Uh, and one of them <laughs> sure. was my grandfather Arthur, who I was named after. Mm-hmm. At, with ten kids, obviously didn't really have a place for him running the family funeral home, mm. which really wasn't going anywhere. Um, so he moved to to Manchester, um, and started a funeral home here. Huh. <laughs> I love it's that. so. <laughs> the fact that this is a, a family business that has survived all these many years and the generational um, transfer is very rare to get that far. Can you talk about when your time came to decide, am I going to be part of the family business or am I going to go another path? What made you take the, the, the path that you took? So in my case, um, I grew up not only in a funeral home family, I actually mm. grew up literally in a funeral home. Well, I was going to ask you that because that's sort of, yeah. Like many kids, you grow up upstairs and you, sh- it's quiet. There's a service going on. And you're helping with delivering flowers. And mm-hmm. after high school, hey, can you help us with this? And, you know, while I was in college, summers. Um, so after doing that uh, and after college, I decided that I wanted nothing to do with funeral service. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I need, I want to move out. Um, I am interested in finance and consulting. I want to get my MBA. My dad said, that's a wonderful idea, um, but you need to go to funeral service school first. And I said, well, that's silly because I'm never coming back to New Hampshire. (laughs) And he said, well, I didn't raise a dummy. I will pay for your graduate school as long as you go to mortuary school. And I wasn't a dummy. And I said, well, yeah, I don't want to pay for my own school. So if he's willing to pay for it, I ended up going to mortuary school, getting my degree. About two days after, moved away, went to Washington, went to graduate school. (laughs) Um, And then about eight years later, my dad reached out to me and said, I am thinking of retiring and selling the funeral home. Um, And if you're interested, now would be a good time to chat. (laughs) So I... um, I spoke to my fiance at the time, who was my wife still. So it's good. Uh, it's a good thing. <laughs> and she turned to me and said, "I don't want to raise my kids in Washington D.C." Mm. So that was 1989. We moved back, and um, at that time we were serving 150 families out of a couple locations in Manchester, and um, yeah, and you know. 25 plus 30 years later, here here we are. Here so, we are. Well, let's discuss the where <laughs> yeah. we are because you took the family business and really expanded it. Can you talk about when you took over how and where you saw the potential for the business to, to serve even more families and in different ways and how you went about doing that? So one of the, and, and a lot of this has to do with, I guess, some good timing and some good luck. Um, but my work with Deloitte um, really had me think of the funeral business as a business 
not necessarily the calling that a lot of, because a lot of folks go up and are the wonderful funeral directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they may not have any business background. They may not have worked anywhere outside the local funeral. So mm. the perspective is different. So nice. I, came, nice. I came into this looking, you know, looking at it as a business right. that just happens to be a family business that, that supports the needs of, of grieving families. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things we looked at um, way back when was cremation, which has become a trend. Right. Um, so and it certainly wasn't very popular, at least on the East no, Coast. Then, probably right? twenty twenty five percent, which mm. is not very high. Mm-hmm. And um, we decided, hey, I think this is something that's gonna that's gonna catch some um, some traction. So we should put in a crematory. And we ended up having to sue the city of Manchester. We wow. got calls from. Local funeral directors, buddy, you're not running the business like your grandfather did, and you're going to cannibalize your business. And what this was is going to be city's horrible. objection at the time um, that they didn't really understand what it was, that it wasn't done. Um, wow. And so huh. I said, Thank you for the advice, but we're going to go in a different direction. And um, we end up putting in our, our own crematories, mm-hmm. um, which then, of course, now with the New Hampshire cremation rate. 82 percent one wow. of the highest cremation rates in the country wow. so that proved to be a pretty good yeah pretty good thing a, a good call yeah, good, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the other things that I think have, have helped us sort of think out of the box is um, we started looking at the trend that um, people just were not as churched as they had been in the past mm. People were circumventing, you know, the Catholic funeral or going mm-hmm. to the church for, and wanting to do so. We decided to retrofit some of our facilities to have in-house chapels. Sure. And got a little backlash from the Catholic Church because we grew up as the French Canadian funeral home on the west side of Manchester, uh. and everybody went to church mm-hmm. and got calls from the bishop's office and different churches and said, "Buddy, you're going to screw up your business, and everyone has to go to church, and and this is not a good thing." Well, again, fast forward now, yeah. we have priests and rabbis and ministers and clergy and imams coming to the funeral home every nice. day. Um, so those, I think, some of the traditional ways of thinking about the funeral service industry. We sort of tried to reinvent and still in keeping, but at, at the end of the day, it was really wishes of the families that were supporting our decisions. And how did you stay strong in in light of the pushback that you were getting? I mean, when we talk about death, whether it's the business of it or going through it, it's there's a lot of emotions attached to it. And it's obvious that every time you try to, you know, forge a new path, you got a lot of blowback for it. So how did you remain strong to your own vision as opposed to giving in to those who are saying you shouldn't do it? Gin Martini? <laughs> <laughs> Shaking her stirred. <laughs> well played, Always sir. stirred. Well played and also true. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just, I, I think we would just tutor our vision, tutor, I, I saw a, a growth path um, one of the things that, that has significantly helped me in our business is I belong, actually I just came back from, from this group, I belong to a study group. Uh, there's 10 of us, I've been in this group for over 20 years, we're geographically diverse throughout the country, and we meet once a year off-site with spouses, and we really just lay all our cards on the table. We benchmark each other. We look at our visions. We look at projects. We look at things that are, we're doing well, things that we're not doing well. 
Um, you know, one of the things that we look at every year is what was our biggest, biggest blunder for the year and how could we have avoided it. Um, so that, that group um, is really our de facto board of directors. Mm-hmm. We run ideas off it. And I think that's part of the reason that we've kept strong and kept focused on our mission and our vision um, to really just move forward and say, well, if that's not the trend, um, I remember, and this is, it's, it's a story that happened years ago, but I always remember it. Um, we were one of the first funeral homes to start employing women in the funeral industry. Years ago, you, never, you would never have a woman funeral director or a woman in, involved in, in the business, maybe the hairdresser, but that's it. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I remember like this, like it was a short time ago, is I was sitting down with a, a family and there was an old French guy, and I think I even had to make part of the funeral arrangements in French. My French was much better back then. <laughs> um, and he said, buddy, did, did, you, did you know that um, there was a woman last night that came to the home when my wife died and helped pick her up? And I said, oh, yeah, of course I know that. She, she worked for us. She's a very good director. And she said, what do you think your grandfather would think about having a woman? <sighs> <laughs> and I said, Mr. Cody, I think he would think it would be a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. And he turned to me and he said, I think you're right. And we made the arrangements. And now, fast forward, over half of our staff are women funeral directors. Um, it's If you look at our mortuary schools now, the vast majority of them are, are females, um, second career or just wanting to get in. And not that my male funeral directors are not great, they are, um, but... It's, it's just, again, it was a barrier that um, years ago you would, you would never even consider having a, you know, a woman funeral director, but they're very compassionate, they're wonderful, and um, it's just we have a really, really great team that's helped us drive that process and drive our, you know, our success and our marketing and, and all the things that we do to serve our families. And so what's the scope of the business today? The scope in terms of... Number of locations, the services that you're doing, the number of families that you're serving now. So uh, currently we have six, I think six, six brick-and-mortar <laughs> funeral homes. You lose track and, after a while. And, well, <laughs> in, New, in New Hampshire as well as Vermont. We serve the entire state of New Hampshire, okay. um, awesome. southern and central Vermont, mm-hmm. northern Mass, yeah. and, um, and southern Maine. Um, we also... Back in 1995, we opened a separate, um, for lack of a better word, brand mm-hmm. or company called the Cremation Society of New Hampshire, oh, okay. which is our discount firm that provides simple, low-cost, more affordable cremation, mm-hmm. and it's an online self, um, self-service. Families make their own arrangements, and they're still working with funeral directors, but yeah. it's, a, it's, a different, it's a different way to get to the same the same end, which mm-hmm. is a simple cremation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our cremation society offices are co-located in most of our funeral homes. We do have a standalone business office in Hampton. Um, and then over the years, one of the things that um, is, is happening in our industry is, you know, the average funeral home in New Hampshire, in the United States, is serving under 100 families a year. Oh, wow. And with an 80% cremation rate, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and a nationwide rate over 50%, and such a high cremation rate, a lot of funeral homes, especially small mom and pops, th- their real estate is worth more than their business. And generationally, as the owners are starting to retire, their kids are, gonna, are saying, 
I don't want to be on call 24 hours a day, yeah. you know, serving 80 families a year, not having, you know, any sort of a social. And of course, you know, from a, from a pure revenue standpoint, you really need to, in this day and age, you really need to be serving at least a couple hundred families a year in order to be able to have an employee and, and be able to have sufficient capital to be able to, you know, refurbish your buildings mm-hmm. and doing different things sure. and marketing. Um, so we've purchased about 10 funeral homes over the last five years that have really, they've sold their, their real estate mm-hmm. and we've acquired their goodwill, their phone number, mm-hmm. and they have a, um, a lot of people now pre-plan and prepay for their funeral arrangements. Um, and we would, we've acquired their, what we call the book of business, their pre-arrangement portfolio sure. and have honored those contracts. So um, that's another way that we've, um, we've been able to grow is just acquiring the goodwill and the assets of funeral homes that have just are no longer financially viable. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and, and to answer your original question, um, last year I think we, we served about, about 3,500 families. Uh, about 25% of all the, the families who pass in New Hampshire will, will go through one of our brands. Um, and about 10% of those in, in Vermont as well, plus southern New Hampshire. I'm sorry, southern, um, southern Maine and northern Massachusetts we serve as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think uh, you, as it goes, you made the right decision to uh, be a management consultant first and then do this um, because I love that you're able to come at this business with the business mindset, but with also the ability to um, say thanks for your advice, but this is how we're going to do it differently. Um, I loved reading, I think, your mission and vision, and I just want to um, kind of put that out there because it's definitely, uh, it, to me anyway, it looks like a former management consultant has written it, but it's really, really, I, I love it. Uh, and then that is to be the regional service provider of choice by disrupting and redefining the death care industry. Our vision ensures our business purpose will be actualized for future generations. It's the disrupting and redefining that is interesting because like you said um and sort of like we were talking about i mean a lot of this is has been this is the way it's been done this is the way you're going to do it 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 is what it is um but clearly that disruption or that embracing of maybe new technology is working for you um and it's creating a sustainable business model it is a sustainable business model well that one little succinct um vision statement yeah. took us 18 months to put together. Oh, my word. Yep. Um, yep. We actually worked with a, 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 a consultant, and mm-hmm. he recommended that we um, we apply for, it used to be called the Granite State Quality Council. It's mm-hmm. now um, Excellence North. It's basically the state version of the Baldrige Award, um, which Tom Raffio, who I know you both know, mm-hmm. is very passionate about. Um, so we, we basically looked at our company using the Baldrige framework and ripped it apart and looked at our processes, systems. Um, a lot of the stuff we, we, we knew, but it was in our head. And, and God forbid, myself and one of my management team gets hit by a bus. <laughs> all that, you know, all that information is no longer documented anywhere. Have far to go, but you know? regardless. Um, so we, we, we looked at all of our processes and systems, mm. what we were doing well, things we weren't doing well. Um, you know, we found one department was collecting data, and another department was collecting the same data, but not sharing the data oh, back and forth. Sure. I mean, not not for any particular reason, because of our maybe we had um, software packages or systems that weren't talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So we we applied for the award, and it took us a year to get there, wow. and we actually ended up winning it. Um, and yes, we have a nice little plaque that says, you know, winner of that. <laughs> but it was it's sort of the the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, not the destination that really we, we emerged from that 
um, after a lot of pain and suffering, a much better, more efficient, much more um, employee, cultural centric mm -hmm. organization because we learned through this that um, you can have the best product, best service, but if you don't have a culture of staff that is going to support your mission and your vision, um, it's really not going to happen. Right. Right. Wow. You need to support the people that are supporting you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. absolutely. Now, it, it, it seems odd to talk about the personalization of funerals because what's more personal than, you know, the grief you go through at that time. But it's, can you talk about how people grieve has evolved and the products that are out there now to choose from in order to have that the, the the personal way you want to say goodbye and remember your loved one. So I think there's there's two ways that we've we've been able to personalize um, what we offer. One is through cultural personalization. Mm -hmm. um, what I mean by that is New, New Hampshire um, is actually quite a large melting pot. People don't re you know, realize we have, you know, a large um, East Asian population, Congolese population, Bhutanese population. Um, and one of the things that we found out early on was that a lot of these organizations or groups were being underserved. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we have a, a, a contract with the, um, um, with the Asian population through, um, through the Indian Society. Um, which East Asian families, mm -hmm. and they had very specific cultural needs and wishes relative to, um, you know, their their Hindu beliefs and, and different religious beliefs. Um, so we created a package around what they needed. Um, same thing with our Bhutanese families. Um, same thing with our Islamic families. So we were able to, to Matt, to, to your to your point, to be able to help. Um, customize and personalize that at a cultural level, um, mainly on religious grounds. The second way we do that is um, all of my families are meeting with a licensed funeral director, and part of their job, before we start talking about obituaries and how much things are going to cost, is let me learn about your mom. Because mm. um, if I you know, ask you, what's her name, what's her address, let me now give you some recommendations. I know nothing about her. Is she religious? Does she have a big family? What is she passionate about? What does she enjoy doing? Once we learn about the person and the family, then we're no longer order takers. We're consulting the family with helping them, well, here's some options that might make sense based on what you told me about your mom. Mm. Um, we had a lady uh, not too long ago who her, she was passionate about quilts, quilting. Um, so one of my funeral directors um, said, well, you should bring in some quilts, and we will decorate the funeral home. Not realizing they brought in 200 quilts. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of quilts. Uh, yeah, wow. it's a lot of quilts. So there's a lot of, lot of ways, you know, whether it's, whether it's something as simple as bringing in personal items um, or through technology, creating special slide shows or live mm. streaming. You know, mm -hmm. we have, a, especially during COVID, we had lots of families that, um, you know, couldn't couldn't come here, couldn't travel. Yeah. Luckily, we had live streaming already set up from several years prior to that. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So we were, um, um, from a technology standpoint, we were already ready for that. Um, so that's how. And then now we've we've expanded live streaming more 
where not only can you see the service, the technology we use is let anyone who has actually watched the live stream um, get a taped copy of the ceremony. Oh, wow. Automatically sent to their email Mm -hmm. box two hours after the services. Because we found out that, great, it was live streamed, but, you know, my sister was working, she Mm -hmm. couldn't see it, or could I have a copy? And we said, oh, we just live streamed it. We didn't really think it was a... You know, something that we would be taping. Sure. Families are using this as, as a keepsake. Yeah. They're live stream services. Wow. Now, my wife is ex-NAID. Um, I proposed that as my casket is going out, that perhaps the song playing was na na na, hey, hey, goodbye. <laughs> oh, my God. But what are some of the um, more <laughs> unusual requests that have stuck out for you as to how people have um, wanted to, to go out in their own style? Um, we had... Um, a few years back, I remember we had a gentleman who wanted to be laid out um, and viewed in um, his wedding dress, um, which was interesting. We had a gentleman who wanted to have the visitation in his Lazy Boy rocker. Oh, so oh the family brought that in. Um, and then things like driving by the house before. This is the house my grandmother grew up in. We want to stop by there. Um, so there's just so oh, nice, there's like so on many. the way to the cemetery. Yeah. I mean, we did oh, that with my grandmother. That's, yeah. that's sweet. We also yeah. have a, yeah. a little internal program, and, and my funeral directors sort of compete for this. Is um, and we, we budget for this every year. We have something called peak moments, and what peak moments is, it gives the funeral directors the um, the empowerment to go outside the box and use company money to create. Um, a ceremony or something that's going to help personalize. Mm. Um, not too long. The one I, I remember, which didn't happen sometime last year, it might have been the year before, was that a lady, um, her, her lifelong dream was to go to Hawaii. And she had cancer, never made it. Mm. So one of my feeling directors, Madison, decided to um, turn the visit, visit and, and he had permission from the husband to do this, but the kids did not turn the, uh, the funeral visitation room basically into a luau Aww. and <laughs> bought awesome. lays and had little fruity drinks. I'm sure there was alcohol in some of them Yeah, um, with, yeah. Yeah, with little umbrellas, and we were playing Hawaiian music, and it was a Hawaiian music, and the family was like, she never got to go to Hawaii, but, you know, this is the next best thing. Oh, yeah. wow. So, wow. Now, we had done a, a cover story a while ago on the funeral industry. I think you were gracing our cover Mm -hmm. for that and i remember talking to you about i was amazed at the different options that were available from having ashes turned into jewelry to um i'm a nascar fan and we have a casket that Mm -hmm. can be your you know favorite race car driver's number and all that can you talk about what are some of the products that are out there and what are some of the more popular choices right now so uh a couple of the the newer ones um that that we we offer um one of them is called Parting Stones. And what Parting Stones is, is it's an alternative to, um, it's basically solidified cremated remains where if the family wants, we can send them um, either all of the cremated remains, which is generally about six pounds, or a portion, which is usually up to a pound. And they will make little cremation keepsake, for lack of a better word, little stones. It almost looks like uh, um, 
fully rounded stones that you would see at the seashore that have been uh, um, smoothed around from mm-hmm. the from the ocean, and mm-hmm. they can be inscribed. So instead of having you know cremated remains that are powdery, um, they're solidified. And everyone asks how many. The average adult about fifteen to twenty parting stones. So that's an <laughs> option. Um, it's it's an option. It's not for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, we probably have four or five families a month that are opting for that. Um, we have a, another company that we work with called Eternova, who takes cremated remains and turns them into diamonds. Oh, wow. uh, takes about six months because the, the, what diamonds are made of is carbon, and mm-hmm. what cremated remains are after the cremation process mm-hmm. is carbon. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and they've created a process. Interestingly, both of those companies were featured on Shark Tank, ah, and they sure. both got seed funding money, um, Eternova about three years ago, and Parting Stones two months ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, remember say, I think I remember seeing that episode, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. So those are some of the, you know, a couple of the creative things. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there, there are some things that, that we have opted out of, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. part, of, part of what we did through the Baldridge process in our, in our vision is looking at what we call our core competencies, mm-hmm. things that we think we're very good at, and things that we think not so much. And I think one of the um, one of the things that often happens, not just in the funeral industry, but any industry, is is owners and management teams can get distracted and start going in different directions. Oh, if we're good with this, then we sh- will also be good with this. And I think that potentially would distract the focus of what you're doing as your your main business business model. Um, but it also detracts from resources and energy. Um, there, there's a lot of alternative options, alkaline hydrolysis, which is not legal in New Hampshire, but it is in Vermont. Um, basically used as an, a, a, a liquid process to make the cremated remains, the cremation process um, into cremated remains, not using heat. It's called green cremation. It's called mm. uh, aquamation. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it just hasn't um, had a lot of traction. Mm. It's extremely regulatory and financially expensive to mm. get into. Um, we've had people ask for it. I just think going in that direction is, um, is going to detract and, and not allow us to, to keep our, our focus on right. funeral services. Right. Um, Another option is is um, there's a number of states. Um, New York recently just passed it. Nothing in New England yet. Uh, is is a composting process where the the individual is it's a sort of a more back to nature using these large tanks and 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 different organic materials to turn cremated remains into organic. Again, I'm not judging if it's a good. Pro- I, I'm, I'm, we've just made a business decision to to not focus on these alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, until there's a significant demand. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Knowing knowing your track record so far, you're probably going to continue to look at those trends and see where they go. And, never and, say never, but right, we, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and if it if it makes sense for the business model, then it makes sense. Now, but, one of the things that did detract from us, but I think it, it made a whole lot of sense, is about four years ago we um, we realized that um, we've always realized this, but it seems like it was more and more. There were lots of families that were seeking financial help. Um, for their for either their restraints, family members with the whole um, opioid crisis, you know, a lot of folks had passed away and they have burnt their bridges and they became disenfranchised mm. from their families. Sure, um, people that were abandoned and looking for resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually set up a a, a nonprofit uh, called the Finette Family Foundation. It's yes. a five hundred one c three. 
Um, so we assist, and one of the th one of the missions that we decided is this shouldn't be just about our firm because we didn't want to make this sound like it's self-serving. So anyone that meets the criteria, um, which is either new, a New Hampshire or a Vermont resident, can use any funeral home they want. And if they meet the criteria for um, requesting social services and being indigent or the needy poor, um, they can go on our website and, and request assistance for uh, for their final arrangements. Wow. And last year, I think we helped um, close to 200 families. Wow. Yeah, separate, separate from our funeral homes, yeah. separate board of directors. Nice. Um, but Why was that important to you? It was important because, um, be, because you know, being the largest funeral home in, in New England and in New Hampshire, um, we ended up getting a larger percentage of those indigent families and we you know it was it was challenging for us to say you know we already discount we, we just can't do everything for free it's just you know we, we have you know we have staff that we have to pay and they have families and yes we try to help but we we came up with a, an option there's got to be a better way to serve the needy poor than just discounting every time someone asks for a discount mm -hmm. um and, a, and it was hard to do that within the confines of our of our existing funeral home where we had a payment policy because we had to meet payroll and all pay for our expenses and our rents and all that other stuff. So we just thought it made a whole lot of sense to do it out there. And then why limit it to just our families? Why mm -hmm. li why why not have that as an option for, for, for any? And we, we kept it to New Hampshire and Vermont because that's where we're, you know, that's where we're focused, that's where our staff lives. And it didn't make sense to bring this to a, certainly a New England or a national level. We just don't, didn't have the bandwidth to do that or the, or, the, or the funding to do that. Yeah. And, you know, when Nathan read your bio at the beginning, it was obvious you're very community-minded and involved in the community. Um, but, I mean, just by the nature of your business, you are linked to your communities in a way few businesses are and you're part of people's lives in a very intimate way that most businesses are not. What is it like to be in a business where you know that you are touching lives and helping people out at one of their most vulnerable times? What is that connection like for you? I mean, to us, it's, it's a real honor. I mean, that is, if you ask really any one of my funeral directors, why are they into it? Mm. Why are they, you know, yeah. it's not, the first thing is, oh, I think I can make a lot of money or I get to drive fancy hearses or limousines. <laughs> um, some are, they don't work with us anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's really it. because I can make a difference mm. and I can help families. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think at the end of the day, yes, we're a business so we need to, you know, we need to make money because we need to be able to invest in technology and facilities and resources. Um, but we also need to look back at our, our vision and our mission and come up with creative ways to dis Everyone thinks, you know, the word you mentioned, our, our vision about disrupting the industry. Well, mm. disruption is not, is not a bad word. No, it's just change. It's just all. meaning Absolutely. looking at it and doing it different. You know, how funeral service was 30 years ago is certainly not how it is today, nor how it's going to be 30 years from now. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And it's a great perspective for a sustainable model. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, this has been uh, this has been a treat and really informative, and um, great to get to know you a bit and and the family business, as it were. Uh, so thank you. And um, Arthur Buddy Fanuf is president and licensed funeral director of Fanuf Funeral Homes and Crematorium, and one of our businesses of the year this year. Very excited, and ag again, congratulations. Thank you, and thanks for being with us. 
Thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.